0: Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact, the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music, movies, and all things creative. In my life, I've been blessed to be around incredibly gifted artists, musicians, filmmakers, and actors, and everyone in between. This is a place to hear their stories. If you'd like, add me on Instagram and Facebook at the Rumors Are True cast. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. True. Welcome back to this latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome a special guest. His name is Brent McCorkle. You might know Brent as one of the directors and the film scorer of the film Jesus Revolution, as well as I Can Only Imagine, Unconditional, and a million other movies he's made over the years. Um, Brent and I have an incredible conversation about the film industry. And him growing up and getting into music as well as movies and an, an amazing conversation i'm so stoked on it and i hope you enjoy it as much as i do so i hope you uh enjoy this latest episode with brent mccorkle hey brent thanks so much for joining my podcast i really appreciate your time man so good to be with you jeremy thanks for having me on man Absolutely, man. So, uh, what's up now? I, I know you probably got a lot of crazy stuff going on. Tell
1: me what's up in your world, man. I'm so excited. You're getting like the scoop. You're getting the exclusive right now. But about an hour ago, we hit 50 million. Unbelievable. Box office. So, I just got the text and texted a few actors that I love. But um, but yeah, man. So, officially, you know, we hit 50 million domestic, which is um, it's quite a feat for a small movie after covid Mm -hmm. Um, the state of domestic box office right now in America is pretty bleak. It's pretty dismal. Uh, we just don't have the numbers that we used to have, uh, even pre COVID, it was starting to go down. Um, and then when COVID hit, I, I kind of joke around and say all these middle-class people that save up money to go on vacation. Well, they didn't go on vacation. So they did one or two things. They put an above ground pool in, or they built like the most incredible home theater system you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And what that's doing is that's applying very extreme pressure on the exhibition side of things because this accountant probably has his room dialed in better than most theaters in the country mm. so they're just like why go to the movies you know so but i will say i think people need to be reminded of how amazing a communal experience with a with the story is and so Jesus Revolution was was cool because you laugh and cry and mm-hmm. uh, clap and cheer. You know, it's it's a really fun experience to have um, as a group. And um, and so, yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about what Jesus Revolution has done. Lionsgate's been an amazing partner. And um, yeah, we're just so happy to see a little drama uh, doing these kind of numbers yeah. after COVID. Um, it's just it's good for the entire cinema in yeah. industrial complex out there you know yeah i i it's an
0: incredible film i and i truly mean that i my wife saw it and she was like you got to see this movie and i went and saw it and i was floored like i really was I, just, I thought it was the cinematography the direction the music everything about it it gripped me and i was just like this is an incredible film that you know faith or no faith it's needs to be seen it's just a beautiful film
1: thanks man i uh, i appreciate you saying that i i I'm a bit of a black sheep in the faith space in that I try to make stuff that's very grounded and human and can appeal to people from all walks of life. So the greatest compliments I personally get, I know this offends people, but like when my Hindu friend calls me crying or my Jewish friend or my atheist friend. Yeah, that was really good, man. I cried, you know, like uh, beautiful. So for me, um, I, I want this stuff. Uh, even that delves into faith. I want it to hit people from all walks of life on a, on a humanitarian level, you know, like we're all in this together. We're all having some kind of human experience. Like however you choose to define that for yourself, I don't, I don't really care. Um, But I think there is something universal that's happening. And I am some sort of weird believer that thinks there's something out there for sure and so um so I enjoy working on faith but I I try to do it in a way that reaches beyond um the little enclave of, of like evangelical Christianity or that sort of construct I want it to break out from that and and reach people from all walks of life because you know Christianity and its texts uh holy text mentions love more than any other world religion and most people don't aren't experiencing it that way Mm -hmm. right now um especially in the political theater that we have um and so i I love this movie because it talks about unity and inclusion love of the other a place of belonging forgiveness empathy compassion you know some my personal values that actually um correlate or interact with some of what i consider to be the main tenets of the christian faith and so so yeah it's always a challenge right to make a film that's going to entertain the faith audience, but also hopefully do something that reaches beyond that. And I really do feel like we threaded that needle on this title for sure.
0: I completely agree. I I think growing up, I grew up, um, you know, believer as the lamb, obviously at this point. And, you know, there, it was always, you know, Oh, Christian movies are terrible or they're just really cheesy or very, you know, cliche. And I feel like in the last, you know, year or so between, um, you know, Jesus Revolution and The Chosen, it's incredible as well. It's just, I feel like the art part of it is starting to maybe catch up or just be seen more, you know, like not so much catch up, but like, there's just a hunger for good art, no matter what, you know, the faith is or, or, or you know, with somebody like yourself being able to do a film like this, it's incredible. It's unbelievable because again, it transcends the faith. It's just a good film.
1: Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Well, I always tell kids, you know, it seems like in this day and time, you know, someone who has a message that they really, really want to get out into the world, it it inadvertently makes you a little bit lazy in the tradecraft because you just want to grab a camcorder and go shoot something about Jesus. But it, for me and John and Andy, the Irwin brothers, we're just different. It's like, we love Hollywood. We aspire to be on the level of Hollywood. So we just approach things differently um, because uh, that that's really what happens. You know, people get excited about a message and you don't realize like, man, you've got two to five years of hardcore investing in yourself in figuring out which way is up before you should even put anything out there. You know, so, um, so we've done, uh, You know, at least uh, at least a bit of the hard work. I'm still not satisfied with where I'm at yet. I still definitely feel like I'm climbing the mountain of of creativity and excellence and all that. But, I mean, I try to point people back to the Sistine Chapel. You know, that guy, uh, he was a believer, but he was doing some of the greatest art of -hmm. of the time. And it actually was faith based art, you know, uh, so much of what michelangelo was doing uh, revolved around faith and and you know faith was obviously more of the pop culture at the time but at the same time um it's just the great some of the greatest art ever made and so i always tell people you know if you're gonna attach god or christ or jesus to something like <laughs> you might actually think about how you know uh this idea of excellence right because uh, yeah. You know I think I think Michelangelo kind of threw down the gauntlet there um, and I always try to invoke the Sistine Chapel in these conversations when I can because faith content can be great it can be transcendent and absolutely kind of some of the best stuff out there uh, but unfortunately like you said most of it is is uh, is pretty bad because people ha- don't take on the value system of making it excellent or making it a high value art target and so that's why i like that's why i like working with john and andy because we're we we're similar in that we want our stuff to be on par with hollywood and it's been a it's definitely been a journey uh i will tell you i'm hard on myself but i mean for the first time in my entire career and i've been doing this for a long time but i looked at the jesus revolution trailer i was like yeah That belongs up there in between Mm -hmm. the other Hollywood trailers like that, that competes, you know, and it's the first time in my career that I can say that. So it's been a journey, man. It's not like you show up. Mm -hmm. You don't show up out of uh, taking a few film classes and do that. You know, at least I don't. It's been a really hard, hard battle, you know, like a lot of hard work uh, to get to where I am now. And I'm not happy with it. Like I said, I still want to want to be better for sure. Yeah, man. Well, kudos to you
0: because it's, like I said, it's incredible, and I'm just really happy for you. That's an, It's an, an it's awesome story to hear that uh, all this perseverance has kind of put you in a uh, position to be successful, and I think that's amazing. So, okay. yeah, man. So tell me, um, growing up for you, what was that like? Maybe some um, movies, music influence, kind of what, what
1: shaped who you are now? Yeah. Yeah, I get, I've get. i been getting that question a lot, and I've really been able to hone it in, but I was, I'm a pastor's kid. Same here. Oh, the, oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I ended up not doing black tar heroin. So that's good. <laughs> um, no, I didn't real bit. I didn't really. I mean, I had my rebellious streak. But I didn't go off the deep end. And, um, uh, you know, I definitely, um, like I said, retain some, some elements of faith in my life for sure. But, um, but yeah, I was raised in a charismatic persuasion where they really encouraged kids to who were creative to use their talents in the church. And so, I mean, I got thrown up on the piano before I even like, knew, knew chords really good. And I was a worship leader when I was 13, you know, and wow. I led worship for many decades and I actually really loved it for the most part. Um, but I, I don't know if you're a Malcolm Gladwell fan or not, but he mm. has this kind of a theory that, you need to get 10,000 hours of reps in, good reps in on anything that you want to be good at. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that needs to be in a safe environment that also challenges you. And so I got my 10,000 hours in inside the church, man. So I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here with you today because I grew up in the church in a nurturing environment where they were like, I could get on the piano and play bad chords. And then they'd pull me aside and be like, hey, uh, yeah, that first song, that was actually in the key of G, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> You know, I get it. it probably wasn't quite that terrible, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. you're, you're allowed to sing a little flat or you're allowed to, you know, mess up on some notes and you don't get you don't get yanked off the stage by a hook. You just get encouraged to do better. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of the church. If you look at American Idol or America's Got Talent, a lot of those kids have uh, origins definitely. and roots in the church. And uh, I definitely am proud of that. I'm definitely happy uh, that that happened to me. And um The other thing I saw in the charismatic faith that really shaped me was um, I did, I I actually wrote the scene in Jesus Revolution where the guy in the wheelchair comes in and screams Mm. out for help and they just stop the service and and try to help. And I was raised in a church like that and and, uh, it was really cool. It really moved me. So if you watch my films. There's, uh, there's always going to be some kind of theme about the laying on of hands. Like if someone is hurting or sad, you'll always see like a hand go on the shoulder or just mm-hmm. hands on this person because that that profoundly impacted me and influenced me. Just someone who's hurting and you you'd, you'd be a kid and you'd watch all these other people gather around them and put hands on them and other people would start crying. And like you just see this beautiful like web of, Compassion and empathy, you know, and and uh, man, it it moved me. It still does to this day. And I wish, I wish it wasn't just for ten minutes in a service. I wish that's how humanity really was with each other all the time. But we're not. But for the brief moments in church when I saw that, it was a very powerful, highly impactful image on me, and also just an impactful experience to, to see, you know, people stop and gather around these people. And even though they don't have cancer in their body, they're crying, you know, for mm-hmm. the person that has cancer in their body. And, and um, yeah, man, it, I think it rewired my brain, <laughs> you know, cool. but, um but yeah, so that was, you know, that was a little bit of my kind of spiritual and uh, musical upbringing. And um, another funny thing happened. My dad is this highly conscientious being. He's probably the most conscientious human that I know to the point that um, he used to have this ice cream business when he was a kid. And he had a three-wheeler that had a, like a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. In the back. And he would run around in junior high and sell ice cream in the summer. Well, it was a cash business. And like, in his forties, his conscience got the best of him. And he like contacted the, the state of Missouri and he was like, Hey, I ran around selling ice cream and I never paid any taxes. You know, <laughs> I just, I want to make this right. You know? And they're like, no man don't worry about it but he literally contacted the state you know they let him off the hook but he's just a very conscientious person but um i love telling that story about him but one day he came home from from work and he worked at a at the headquarters of a giant uh pentecostal denomination but he came home from work and we were the second family on the block to get a vcr and uh man dude at the time when vcrs first came out mm-hmm. a technician came to the house and like installed it they like we had to go get with this guy and he had to give us like a 30 minute tutorial on how to use it we were just like blown away and um the movie it came with a free rental when he installed it and it was star wars and me and my brother were freaking out yeah we were, we were freaking out and watched star wars over and over again until you know we had to return the tape um but but later, right, months later, my dad came home from work and he said, hey, guys, um, a good friend of mine has a really good friend that owns a movie theater and he set up a camera in the back of the theater and he recorded these movies. I don't know how they do it, but anyway, he recorded these movies. Do you know these movies? They're Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And me and my brother lost our minds because mm-hmm. we suddenly had maybe one of that like you could count on maybe two hands the bootlegs of those movies in the world at the time so we were like it's a bootleg It's <laughs> so. but my dad didn't know or else he would have just thrown it in the trash you know we were like oh mm. cool you know but dude we had a bootleg of of raiders and empire on vhs and it was so trashy the quality but man we both quit counting when we watched those movies mm-hmm. 40 times each and uh it it marinated me on two of the most perfect films ever made. Yeah, I agree. Top movies. I agree. I just, I don't know, dude, it just washed over me. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize the perfection that I was watching at the time. I'm just a kid who loves both these. I adore those films to so this day. They'll never mm-hmm. fall out of my top 10 movies ever made. Um, but that was, um, I think that was my subconscious film school as a child. Uh, both those movies just so excellently, powerfully done. Yeah. And uh, to be able, and I believe if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, both of those movies ended up in some sort of legal snafu where the, the VHSs didn't come out for years after, like you couldn't, it wasn't like, you know, a year later they were on VHS. It took them a long time to come out. So we were one of the few people that had those on VHS and it was just really powerful to spin those over and over again. And on top of that, they weren't pan and scan they were shot on a theater screen so they were in widescreen uh. so they're matted which was not done uh so you we got to watch them full widescreen, you know on that on that bootleg and um, i think it marinated me in many different ways um you know in filmmaking and cinema my parents were really strict and we weren't allowed to go to the movie theater uh, at all we couldn't go to the cinema and that was really hard on me but that also impacted me because I raised my kids obviously I don't have the same values as them as it pertains to cinema I never have and it was really hard growing up as a kid who loved the movies so much and couldn't go but what was so special about that and I thanked them for it and I'm not mad or bitter or upset about it or resentful anymore I probably was when I was younger but um it made me appreciate and respect and love the cinema in a way that kids just grow up and they go all the time. They it's totally taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not, for me, it's a, it's like a, uh, it's like a privilege and it's a very sacred thing for me. I, it I definitely feel like God meets me in the theater a lot. Um, I probably cry more in the cinema than anywhere i don't cry more i don't cry as much about my own life <laughs> as i do you know just when a story moves me uh, it's uh I'm, I'm very easily moved by a, a well told story and um i feel all the emotions so like horror films are are terrifying for me <laughs> love stories you know pound me up, pound me in my chest and you know action films get my blood pumping like i i really uh i really am in touch with my emotions and i love how good stories bring out your emotions. And I I aspire to that in my own work. But yeah, I would say all those things combined uh, made me who I am. Um, Anybody that goes to the movies with me, my kids included, know that the expectation is we're going to sit through the credits uh, until the very end and be respectful and meditate and uh, be appreciative of the 1,000 people or the hundreds of people that worked on the film to bring it to us, even if we didn't like it that much. and so, yeah, man, I think I think not being able to go to the cinema as a kid really shaped me into someone who loves the cinema in a way that most people will never understand because it was never taken from them.
0: Sure. Sure. I get that. I get that. That's really cool uh, perspective. Um, you know, I definitely can relate to the you know, you can't watch this. You can't watch this. You know, I get that part of it. So it's, it's definitely relatable. That's cool that you have taken that, and you know you, you know, there's a reverence for it and and a respect for it obviously um and then it's kind of maybe come out in your in your um uh, storytelling you know in the way you do a film you, you you have an absolute respect for it, and that's really cool so um what kind of music were you listening to at that time what what was there any sort of bands or records that really kind of influenced you as well
1: well <laughs> similarly right uh definitely you know it, I found myself as the culture war was firing up, you know, in the early eighties and the kind of the Christian bubble was happening and the, the, the Bible belt, uh, you know, all that stuff was really kicking into full force. And so I remember the evangelical movement to boycott (laughs) E.T. But in the midst of all that, CCM was really coming into power. It's like, I mean, an an extremely powerful silo of music. And my parents were cool with me listening to CCM. So, I was, my stuff was divided. Anything at home that I listened to on tape would have to be CCM. Um, and even that sometimes when I'd lean into some of the harder stuff, they would make me get rid of those tapes. Like, <laughs> like, No, it's too hard. It's too hard rock, man. So even then, you know, there was a little bit of censorship. But beyond that, man, like at school or even riding the bus, I was all about 80s top 40 men. And I still am. You can hear it in my scores. But like, I just... Uh, it's all I could really get because I couldn't have any 80s records of the house or tapes or anything. And so, like, most of the 80s I would hear would be with friends away from the house or even riding the school bus or even stuff I would hear at school. Uh, somebody – it was like the 80s, right? So, kids would bring jam boxes and they would let them yep. – they would let the kids bring them onto the playground, man. And we would have, like, DJ – you know, people put tapes in it, DJs while we're playing on the jungle gym. It was so amazing. But, um, but yeah, man, 80s top forty. I just I think it's amazing, and I'm definitely an '80s uh, radio kid. Um, It it greatly, dramatically informed uh, my music for sure. But quite frankly, man, there was some awesome CCM at the time. Yeah, that um, it was a little bit different than uh, than what you would say about movies. Like there were a lot of people that came out of the gate were very strong. And before it became a little bit more industrialized and like a factory, like now I don't listen to it that much Mm because a lot of it sounds the same. But back then, man, it was as eclectic as as 80s radio. You know, you'd hear like kind of a folky tune and then like a harder rock tune or like more of a synth driven tune. Like it was real broad. You'd hear like Sandy Patty. uh, But then you would also hear like a light Petra song. I love Petra, bro. I love Petra. Yeah. Now, Petro Petro was right on the edge with my parents. Some of it, <laughs> know, like, it didn't and some of it they, they didn't. But um, uh, Beat the System was just an amazing great record. Uh, great record. Amazing record. And, um, uh, man, like Smitty's older work. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of Amy Grant's records in yeah. the 80s. I mean, Unguarded, I still pop that in and play. That's yeah, a great record. Fantastic uh, production values. Um, and then the one she did after that, uh, Lead Me On. Yeah, great record. Um, and the, a lot of like Michael W. Smith's uh, uh, big picture. Um, I got to collab with Michael W. Smith on on Jesus Rev. He wanted to do an homage to uh, We Are One in the Spirit. And I'd scored uh, one of the trailers with a like an a, almost like a synth driven, big epic uh, ambient thing of We Are One in the Spirit. And my daughter sang on it and he heard it. And he's like, I want to record this with you. So like, amazing! he came back and we redid the song to fit. And, you know, he's like, I want to change keys. And like, I had modulated this song and like in a minute, you know, so i was like, oh man, he's going to make me modulate this. Okay. Um, So dude, we did it. it. turned out so great. But, um, but I got to tell him, I said, man, it's always going to be big picture for me, dude. And he, great goes, record. and he said, I loved working on that one. Um, wow. So yeah, I, that was a movie. I mean, I'm sorry, that was a a record that never recouped. It was just too wild. People didn't appreciate it what it was, and uh, I'm like, you guys are crazy. This is like genius. It was like all over the place, and so cooked in the lab, and every little thing was just in perfect yep. perfect order and put in its place. But yeah, it just that's my favorite of his by far. But was yeah, just he's talking to him about it and getting some of the stories and.
0: What was that like being able to meet him? Was that kind of like, uh, you know, like, how did they make you feel?
1: Yeah, man, um, it's just surreal. Yeah. It's surreal because he was such a hero of mine. um, And I don't think I can fully process it. I'm just like, wow, I get to work with this guy that um, when I was a kid, like he was just a huge influence on me. And just as almost like a disembodied experience, I just had to kind of, observe it and be like okay wow you're working with one That's of your amazing. heroes okay cool okay great you know um and then i two years ago i had the privilege of meeting Russ Taff.
0: oh I love like, Russ half man
1: so good yeah if you hear me sing, you'd be like oh he's he's trying to sing like Russ half <laughs> <laughs> metals I man him. that record I, I told him like what his music meant to me and just how powerful of a human I think he is and um he's been through a lot in his life yeah. and uh, I'm just so appreciative appreciative of his music and how excellent he was but then also just his story and that he's not afraid to talk about the some of the harder edges sure. of his life and um but yeah he was definitely huge huge probably uh, in CCM probably the biggest influence Incredible. so yeah uh a lot of CCM and sneaking in the '80s uh, pop radio when I could.
0: Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. That it's awesome that it uh, you, you, it's influenced your music and 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 the movies you know that you're doing. That's really cool. It's now that you say that I, I can, when I watch it again, I'll, I'll probably like try to look for the hints like that. That's really cool. So, um, so. Obviously that kind of led you into wanting to do movies and are maybe being doing films or short films. And, and we talked earlier, you had quite a few uh, over the years that you've done. And uh, let's talk about uh, the, you know, you getting on the, on the Steven Spielberg program or the, uh, kind of how that happened. And let's talk about that for a little bit and and kind of where that went.
1: Yeah. So I got married really young, Um, had kids really young. I was living in Dallas, Fort Worth at the time. And I was a typical adrift artist. I didn't really know <laughs> that I was even uh, had a really strong artistic wiring. I guess I always thought people, every all of us were the same, and that we were all highly creative. And it didn't dawn on me until my late twenties that I was uh, that I really wanted to be a career artist, like try to make a living doing art. So I switched majors five times. I was. I was pre-med man i was gonna be a cop for a while i was gonna go into the military um i was gonna be a psychologist i mean dude i, I switched all this stuff but in my late 20s i'd kind of already done the music thing i had done a ccm record that was an indie in in uh dallas fort worth and under was, your like, under your name or it was under my first and middle name brenton and scott and it didn't okay. go anywhere it was just you know it was one of those deals where i tried man but it was just it um it was so eclectic and so weird. Like I no, that there, there was, I didn't have a producer. I produced myself. And so I did this really, really genre agnostic thing where it's like a little bit of like, it would be pop. They'd be like real hard rock. Then it would be hip hop. Then it would be like a <laughs> folk and a little bit of country. And then, then there'd be like a Scottish 10 whistle, you know, like, what, <laughs> like bro, what are you doing? You know? And so the A&R people were well, okay, like, dude, we don't, We don't know what you're doing man so it became one of those deals where i had to sell it out of the trunk of my car and i Mm -hmm. just could never get enough you know locomotive uh behind it to do anything but it was fun it was fun and i worked as hard as i could and um but yeah it just wasn't in the cards for me but after that i you know i spent all this time in music and i remember thinking when i was a kid wow if i could do something with music and drama in it i could really be happy that was before I was even thinking about a job, right? Uh, but it really did prove to be true. Um, so I am I'm married, have three kids out of out of my five that I would eventually have. And I go to my wife I was working for a church at the time, leading worship and doing drama. I went to my wife and I was like, Hey, I I really think I want to be a filmmaker. And um the church was generous enough to let me get all my work done. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and let me take classes Tuesday, Thursday. So I went to Southern Methodist University, and I took as many film classes as I could until my fourth kid, my daughter, was born, and I dropped out. So I just – I loaded up as much as I could, and I learned a lot, man. It was – it was they, they had a really cool program, and half of it was academic and really teaching you to think about what you're putting up on screen and where it all came from and the history of cinema, and that was really cool. And the other half was – lab like you could check out cameras and the first two things they make you shoot was uh were on film so i had to shoot two short films on uh on film but from there i launched out and just ran out in the woods man i was broke didn't have two pennies to rub together and um i would borrow cameras from friends borrow camera like barter with uh studios in the in the area like hey i'll come work for you free on this weekend, can I borrow a camera? Yeah, that's fine. So I would, I would kind of work as a a barter dude, you know, um, and I worked in the film business on crew. I was a production assistant, got yelled at a lot. Um, Yeah, I was, I was doing everything I could to make a living, but on the weekends, I was making short films and I amassed, I don't know, between 40 and 50 shorts. And uh, I was, participating in short film festivals all over the country. And I would win some, lose some, place in some, get honorable mentions in some. Um, And it was cool because at some point somebody told me like, wow, you're an award-winning director now. And I was like, wow, never really thought about that. You know, but it it does make a difference. It makes you feel better about what you're doing or maybe maybe you do have, uh, or, or at some point will have what it takes to, have a full-time you know film career because i mean the, the thing everybody has to keep in mind is you know i was i was paing or doing grip work or or you know shooting corporate videos or sorority videos or anything i could to pay the bills because you're making short films that doesn't pay the bills you know mm-hmm. so but in the in all those shorts i definitely was Now, getting my new crop of 10,000 hours in on the film side of things, not just the music. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one day a friend of mine called and said, Hey, have you heard that Steven Spielberg is going back to TV? And I was like, No, he's not. You know, like he hadn't been, he hadn't done anything in TV since the Animaniacs. Mm -hmm. And um, so I blew it off. I I actually thought they were wrong, I didn't even look it up. And then a week or two later, somebody else called me and said, Hey, Spielberg's doing this uh, talent search for like the next great filmmakers or whatever. And I, but when the when the second person called me, I believed it and I looked it up. And sure enough, he was doing a collaboration with Mark Burnett, who's of Survivor fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. throughout reality shows. Um, but they were neighbors at the time. And across the fence, they just got talking about what they could, like, could collaborate on. And Spielberg mentioned it to Mark Burnett. He's like, I always want to do a, talent search for filmmakers and and mark's like done so they built this show together called on the lot and it was on fox in 2007 and it bombed hard <laughs> it was only one <laughs> only one ep- one season rather and uh it uh, was the most expensive reality show ever made at the time and i mean it just it just tanked man like nobody watched it but after the second person called me, I saw what the credentials were uh, for submitting, and I had some short films that, I, that I'd already made that fit the, the rubric of what they were asking for. So I turned in a short, and I made it really far, man, and I uh, got to go to L.A., and I was, uh, out of, I think, 11,000 applicants, I was uh, the 20th to get kicked. Wow. So I made it to the top 20, um, and it was fun. It was real heartbreaking. Um, I think one of the reasons why it didn't work was they took a lot of the cutthroat mean stuff from like survivor in those shows and they, they tried to get the filmmakers to tear each other apart. And mm-hmm. a lot of us just weren't willing to do it. And I think it yeah. got kind of boring, you know, um, but, uh, but it was really cool. Like, uh, the teams that I worked on, we all worked really hard to support each other and, uh, it showed up in the work <laughs> yeah. and, um, But yeah, it was hard to, it was hard to do the walk of shame and all that on a reality show. And it really stresses you out. You've got at any time and you've got 30 or 40 cameras on you just waiting for you to mess up. And it was, uh, it was wild. I probably needed therapy now I'm 50, you know, like I, I've learned a lot about myself and just the nature of trauma and PTSD and all that. But I mean, dude, it was, it was a lot. It was, I I probably needed to go to a therapist right when I got back home, but, uh, (laughs) But yeah, it was uh, it was wild. I learned a lot. But the coolest thing about that was, and it's my greatest claim to fame. I mean, um, it's still the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But Spielberg saw a couple of my short films, and he liked them. Wow. And, um, that means so much to me. I may never ever him or talk to him, but just know that he saw my dumb little short films that I was making with friends in Dallas, Texas, and he, he liked them and appreciated them. Uh, it's probably... The greatest like the highest point in my career um, and so yeah man uh, I met there was a short that I made and everything ended up being the property of DreamWorks and Fox television and but there's a, there was a lot of people that were way cool on that show and I got home and I was real discouraged and I really felt felt like I got so close to maybe breaking in somehow and then just got kicked out and back to back to one Mm-hmm. And I'm in Dallas Fort Worth in my house, just going, What am I gonna do, man? I I got nothing. I'm just this obscure kid in Dallas Fort Worth that's trying to make movies and how am I gonna break in? Well, I I thought I kind of collected myself and got over my little pity party. I was like, Well, what do you do have in front of you? And I had a new short film that they required me to make for the show. And so I emailed DreamWorks and Fox and the the producers, and I was like, Hey. I'm kind of a festival circuit kid. Uh, This is how I've been trying to build my career up. Would you guys possibly let me use this film and take it out to festivals? And they're like, absolutely. It's yours. It's yours. Take it. So I immediately entered it into Sundance. $75. uh, Got a rejection letter. The most expensive rejection letter I'll ever Mm. get in my entire life. Um, But the next one I entered it in was this really cool. Uh, festival in Nashville called the Doorpost, and yeah. what was really cool about the Doorpost at the time was, if you made it far enough, they would actually give you money to go out and shoot new shorts to compete. So that short that I did for DreamWorks got me into the semifinals, and bro, for the first time in my life, I had real money to do a short. Like Amazing. they cut me for twenty-five thousand dollars, and like. I mean, now I mean, I've worked and done a lot of big stuff now, but I can remember the feeling of that check. It was overwhelming. It would be, it would be like probably me getting like a hundred million dollars now to do a film. Like it was just so much money, and I was like, "Oh man, you know, we got to swing for the fence." And I did this crazy, ridiculous, uh, too expensive, you know, short for the money. But it was a purgatory movie, and we did. It was all night shoots, and um, but, but I mean, it was cool, and and uh. I ended up placing in the money that year at the Doorpost and I made third place and dude it was it was during the the rec- the huge recession mm-hmm. in uh, 2010 and, like I was not getting any calls for my work and it saved us man it saved us and we we barely you know uh barely made it financially that year but um that Doorpost win helped us but but on top of that, there were two producers in the audience that were looking for their next filmmaker. And they tapped me on the shoulder after the presentation and, and I won, you know, one third place. And they said, hey, will you stick around an extra day? We want to talk to you about something. And they offered me my first job uh, to write and edit, score and direct, um, and a little indie movie that they wanted to do in uh, in Tennessee called Unconditional. and I. I signed on to do that, and that was my first feature film uh, in 2012. But what's crazy about that, even as I tell you that story, um, I'm, in, I'm inextricably linked in my career with Steven Spielberg. Because if he, there was a, he chose the top 50 to get on the show. They sent him all these shorts, and they're like, hey, pick the 50 that you want on the show. And he picked me to be in the show. And that's what got me to make that additional short. So I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you today if he hadn't have. I don't know where my life would have gone, honestly. But, like, he saw something in my short. I got to go on the show, make that extra short. And that extra short is what got me into the doorpost. You know, got me in front of those producers. I got to make my first feature film. And then from there, John and Andy really became huge fans and that's when we started collaborating so like for the last 10 years i've done i think seven projects with john and andy and it's been the it's been like the bread and butter of the last decade of my career uh, culminating in getting to direct jesus revolution with john that's cool hey you uh, mentioned uh doorpost uh,
0: some of my dear friends brian jaron will hill nathan elliott john shepherd uh brian's helped me with this podcast he uh helps with production and music he's my old roommate from 25 years ago incredible dude man, amazing guys
1: uh will brian gabe cox yeah gabe cox that's right yeah gabe me, me and gabe still talk i might chase storms with them this year yes yeah, i thought he was doing that yeah he's a big storm chaser i don't know if you seen any of his footage but like that guy is legit man like, yeah he, they've gotten some crazy stuff on film and I'm obsessed with tornadoes, and so uh, I may end up, you know, in a chase car with him, uh, you know, running around trying to catch some storms. But, um, but yeah, it's crazy. I've kept in touch with all those guys, uh, and, and they're just – they were such a special group. They were so nurturing, so encouraging. The bottom fell out on me a couple times. Um, uh, we got behind on schedule and had some financial problems on my movie, and Nathan got on a plane and just flew out to be with me. Um, but it was one of the greatest leadership teams I've ever been around. And I've, I was in awe of those guys and they were always so nice encouraging and kind uh, to me and my team. And, um, it was a, it was a turning point for me in my career and I, I needed those guys in my life. Um, and, uh, they came at a really special time and, um, so yeah, man, it was, uh, The doorpost was a vibe. I wish that it had kept going. I think Nathan and his team were definitely the special sauce. And when they moved on, it was done. Sure. So, uh, but I, I mean, if any of you guys are watching, you were the special sauce. You ministered to my heart in a way that I can't articulate in words. And um, I'll never forget you guys. Um, So anyway, yeah, beautiful, amazing team. I wish... I wish there were like 30 film festivals like The Doorpost. Yeah. There was nothing like it. There will never be anything like yeah. it. But uh, just the idea that they would empower filmmakers and actually give them budgets um, if you made it to, like, you know, I think the top 10, if you made the semifinals, you were top 10 and and uh, they gave you a really substantial short film budget. It was the most money I'd ever seen. and And it's crazy because you're always wanting someone to take... A bigger risk on you or like yeah. open up the door for you to take the next step up and that was definitely the case for me with their festival and yeah i could keep going on it we could do the rest of the podcast they're all so amazing man and that's uh, so just, cool yeah they were um just a delight to be around and just that energy with that team was um something i still aspire to when i build my teams for my movies that's cool what a compliment! That's awesome.
0: Sweet man. Well, let's uh, let's kind of briefly touch on the movie you talked about, unconditional. Not we'll to stay long on it, because I want to talk about uh, I can only imagine and Jesus Revolution. Um, but just kind of tell me, you mentioned that kind of uh, was an opportunity as your first directing. How, how did that go? How was it a nightmare? Was it cool? Was it something that you like? Uh, learned a lot from? How, how how was that?
1: All of those things combined. <laughs> in a uh a tsunami hurricane tornado um wow. <laughs> no, it was a nightmare um and you know some of that was some of that was me some of it wasn't, but it was just a bunch of people's first and so uh you know it was my first feature film um it was the producing unit's first feature film and um so when you have that when you have that going, it's, it's tough. Cause you've got a lot of rookies trying to steer the big ship, you know? Um, uh, but in all of the nightmare, it was also very good. <laughs> and, um, I grew a lot. I was, uh, oftentimes overwhelmed spiritually and emotionally. A bunch of people came around that movie that just wanted to help. It was, a uh, it was a story of a man in Nashville who runs a nonprofit to help inner-city children. Mm-hmm. So the goodwill around the title and the outpouring around the title was pretty overwhelming. It brought me to my knees a few times. Um, and I had great actors uh, in the lead roles. I had Michael Ealy and Lynn Collins. I don't know if you know those actors or not, but they're mm-hmm. just, they were just fantastic. Uh, Bruce McGill, who's like legendary uh, Hollywood uh, veteran he came and did uh, like two days with me and he was just amazing and so I learned a lot from those actors um I was out of my depth in a lot of ways but in other ways I wasn't and so I used my strengths as best I could and I tried to learn from my weaknesses but but what's amazing is when you're in a pressure cooker like that I'm I'm in a walking encyclopedia now for independent filmmaking um I saw a lot of the mistakes. I saw a lot of the things that, uh, like corners would be cut and and, um, uh, we we have a lot of say- we have a saying, and this happens all the time. in every in every title you do, there's always something like this. But it's like, don't be a penny wise and a pound foolish. We're like, you're trying to save pennies, but you literally like damage something. Mm-hmm. So like one of my um, one of my quotes is like put orthodontics on teeth, but don't break teeth out. Right. It's like mm. you're trying to make it better. You're trying yeah. to make it smile better. Not like pull teeth out of the, of the thing. So, so yeah, I, I watched some corners get cut. Um, I watched some things, you know, from the sidelines and, 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 as you're watching all those things, you're like, wow, okay, I'm not doing X, Y, and Z on my next film, you know? So it was a beautiful, wonderful learning experience for me at the same time. Um, We learned a lot of hard truths too, because the movie turned out good. And um, while it was a hard one to make, it was just a beautiful kind of honey, honeycomb, very amber, very warm spiritual feeling when you watch this movie. And like none of the dirt or the gunk, you know, or like Mm -hmm. stuff I was angsty about, it wasn't in the movie. It was so cool, but like it transcended the the woes and the you know the plagues of. Production in all the problems, it transcended, and that really gave me a lot of um, hope and encouragement and faith. It's like, wow, okay, this ended up really beautiful uh, in spite of all the problems. So it was like a a big spiritual journey for me too, Um just like a human life, right? It's like, yeah, that's my life, right? That's all of our lives, to a degree. And I, like, very beautiful things can be made out of dust, you know? Or yeah. Ash. Or a train wreck or like, uh, you know, a beautiful art can be made from a junkyard, you know. Yep. So, so yeah, that was a big spiritual learning experience for me. And um, quite frankly, I came out of that with a lot of angst and resentment and anger. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me on a beautiful spiritual experience of letting all that go and cool. uh, learning to, I think, forgive myself, but also... Let loose of resentment and frustration and uh, the stories that you want to tell about why it didn't do uh, 60 million at the box office or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, you're, um, you know, probably some ego and, you know, some stuff involved there. But um, I'm way more chill now and I'm way more of like a open handed filmmaker. I, I like I I really like um the discovery process now and not really trying to tell everybody what it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so it's changed it changed me a lot, but it definitely was a crucible. Uh in all the great ways and all the bad ways. And um but I wouldn't trade it. I, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade a minute of it. It uh everything since then has been much easier. Um and I'm showing up in a better place, definitely a better headspace than I did. And um But I'm also able to, I think, relate to people and their pain and even their fears, some anxiety, some insecurities, Um, I'm able to just be real and show up in a, I think, probably in a more real, authentic way and also be able to see when people are hurting or maybe why they're acting a certain way on set, maybe there's something more to it than than just uh, a pride thing or or, or there's probably something more to it there. And so, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely. Deeper, spiritually smarter, definitely a smarter filmmaker now. And it was awesome to see how that film felt when it was all said and done, just how that movie feels. It just, it just gives you a big old hug, man. It's yeah. really cool. So awesome. I realized that, yeah, despite the, despite the challenges, man, there's uh love. If you, if you're inviting love onto your, into your frames, like love will show up in your frames. Yeah really hard to get those frames in the can so so yeah that was my uh that was my baptism by fire into feature films for sure very
0: cool that's awesome what a what a cool viewpoint um after after the fact that's cool um let's talk about uh i can only imagine um uh, you know big film for you kind of talk how that uh you know briefly how that materialized and kind of you know how you felt about it and kind of similar to what you just uh described
1: yeah, man. Um I loved working on that movie. We shot at Oklahoma City and I was uh I didn't know what the crew situation was gonna be like, but man, the Oklahoma crew was amazing, dude. They were awesome. I love those guys. I would I would shoot another film in Oklahoma like tomorrow. Um but it was it was cool. I, I worked with John and Andy on a football movie called Woodlawn. And it was similar to Remember the Titans, but uh there was a there was a Christian revival in this school that had recently been desegregated. So you still had segregation inside schools. You had the whites and the African-American, like, cliques. Mm-hmm. And it was showing up even in the football team. They couldn't play together because of the racism. And then there's this Christian revival, and they all got on the same page spiritually and, you know, uh, athletically. And they started playing together as a team. And it's a really cool story. But um, But Andy called me and wanted me to edit it with him because it was all the football, man. It was like shooting an action movie. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a whip, man. It was a whip. It, it, it took two editors (laughs) grinding for a long time to get that movie put together. But we all got along so well, man, we vibed and I brought a lot of things to the story and they ended up letting me score on that a little bit. I I scored about 25% of the score. And after all that, man, the good vibes were flowing. And, uh, John asked me if I might, might want to write, I can only imagine with him. I was like, absolutely. And then Andy was like, hey, would you want to edit with me again? I was like, yeah, sure. So I ended up kind of being the third Irwin brother on that one. I got to nice. do a lot of stuff. I, uh, I helped produce the, all the band music. I helped produce all the Mercy Me stuff that we mm-hmm. had in the film. And I got, ended up getting to score the entire movie. I was the second unit uh, director. Um, on all of the, you know, all the second unit stuff, and so I wore, I don't know, five or six hats in that movie, and it was really fun, because it took me back to my roots, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, and just doing it all, you know, um, so it was cool, they let me do all that, and I really felt like, kind of like a, uh, an adopted Irwin brother, because nice. I was in the, in the middle of these two guys, and they, you know, they work as a duo, and I yeah. was in both of their orbits. And, um, so that was really cool, man. And the movie did incredibly well. Uh, we shot it net, uh, that $5 million. I mean, it was like a, and when I say net, there are incentives that you get back, if you shoot in different places and like different States, they'll give you sure. rebates back. So, but, but for like hard cash outlay, it was a $5 million movie. Um, and so, and then when you get incentives back you pump that back into like vfx shots or extra money for a score sure. or post or whatever so i think all in it was 7 million but the actual spend for the movie was 5 and then it did 86 million
0: unbelievable
1: um, i just it was ridiculous it's just i mean it's just an unheard of you know david and goliath story i will say though and this would step on all the toes of to probably everybody that worked on that film i remember seeing the trailer going yeah we're not there yet it's like yeah Indywood, you know, like, it it was cool, and looked good, but there was just something still indie about it, and the trailers, like, I remember specifically, one day, the trailer played, but it was like, Hollywood, 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 I can only imagine, Hollywood, Hollywood, and it dropped, Mm -hmm. I was like, man, still got some, we still got more work to do, guys, you know, obviously, after an $86 million, you know, uh, outsized return on a $5 million, you know, it's like, it's hard for people to hear that, you know, right, sure, you know, but um, but I will say, the hard work has continued, and you know, like I said, for the first time in my career, watching the Jesus Rev trailer, I'm like, wow, yeah, okay. um, we're like in the we're in the galaxy now, um, and so yeah, man. Uh, but I loved. I can only imagine. I um, uh, you know, similar to what I was talking about with my condi- my my experience with unconditional. Uh just in my own spiritual life, um I really I, I realized that I have a profound problem with letting go. Hmm. Uh even if somebody hurt me or wounded me or took advantage of me, I would always just like hold on to all that. I ended up really like bitter and resentful, a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. And um man Going through the spiritual journey of Bart learning to forgive an abusive father, it it changed me. It out of profile. I I remember scoring on this keyboard right here. That one right there. I remember scoring on that keyboard and um weeping, <laughs> like tears hitting that keyboard while I'm, while I'm scoring because I realized like I needed to start letting go of this stuff mm. it was a it was a profound spiritual experience for me and I did i I got on a path of letting go and um, forgiveness, um, letting go of resentment and uh, and uh yeah, I'm just in a better space, but man, I think for me, the journey and I wrote a lot of the forgiveness construct uh, that was that was some of the stuff that I focused on. Um, yeah, Sorry, I messed my camera up here um you know that was some of the stuff i was tasked with in the in the script and uh yeah man i just remember just this overwhelming sense of thinking wow bart has so much more to forgive than is and that has ever happened to me in my life and yet i can't and so it was just such a powerful uh profound spiritual yeah. for me to start demanding of myself in my heart in my spirits like okay you're going to get on a path of forgiveness and letting go and getting rid of all this resentment and this um anger that you choose to hold on to and uh so yeah i would say for me that was the but dude the guys the guys that came up to me and found me and said i had a really turbulent relationship with my father thank you for this movie and then it 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 humbles you dude it's cool like it's it's fun to be like oh yeah i made 85 you know whatever and the most important thing that thing that movie did was show you what's possible that's Um, cool like healing uh of of your human relationships that are damaged and also letting go of of really hard things that have happened to you in your story wow even for your own sake so yeah so yeah that that movie was more of a spiritual experience for me than um than a than a filmmaking journey, however, uh, I think at the time it was the best thing that uh, John and Andy and I had ever done uh you know yeah. in, in our careers and um, but we've continued to try to elevate sure you know, since then.
0: very cool man that's that's awesome i I'm seeing a theme here of you making these films and you not so much learning lessons but being able to look back and be like hmm, you know I can change some things about myself and you know it's it's a it's a tool for you to be creative and also you know get get an ability to forgive and you know whatever it may be and I think that's really cool and it is profound. you know what you just said um I think that's really awesome, man.
1: It's pretty wild, but it's almost like by proxy, right like if I can do it as the filmmaker, I have to believe that the audience could maybe go there with me absolutely and uh, I do think that um, I think that I can only imagine. Opened up a lot of hearts uh for people to uh start trying to forgive get yeah. of, at least get on a path of forgiveness which that's a cool path to be on even if you like wake up five years later like I still can't forgive my stepdad that's okay like you're on a path and um and uh, I think once you set yourself on that path like magical things can happen
0: yeah absolutely man very very cool
1: all right well let's talk about the jesus revolution
0: um Let's, again, go back into kind of how that materialized and, and your process with that. And, and uh, you know, obviously things are going well with that. So uh, kind of talk
1: about that for a little bit. Yeah, man. Um, the movie fell apart twice. Uh, we've been working on this movie for seven years. I was the wow. original researcher. Uh, we started researching this movie. Uh, let me see. Let me think. After Woodlawn. So we started the original research in 2015 and I got all these books, watched all these documentaries, like dove into the period, and I basically built a dossier that was the thickness of a small phone book of stuff that I thought would be awesome in the movie. And I I um dove into Chuck Smith and Lonnie and um I discovered that whole thing where you wash the feet of the hippies to Unbelievable. So that would See. allow the kids to come in I was when i read that i went to john and i said dude we could mess up every scene in the film if we get this scene right it's a movie and he was like whoa but like it's crazy because in in movies you're always like is the, did that really happen or was that was that uh expounded upon or did they elaborate on that you know uh in a way that's not truthful but dude that 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 thing, that exact thing happened um it was so beautiful man yeah uh, but it started Jesus Revolution started when we were doing research for Woodlawn, because it happened in the same time period. So Woodlawn uh, hap- occurred during the Jesus movement. So John found the Time Magazine article with the psychedelic Jesus on the cover that just said t- that said Jesus Revolution. It was a yeah. 1971 cover. And uh, he ordered it, and he read it. Uh, he read the article, and he's like, guys, this is our next movie. So I started doing all the research, and we got the pitch decks ready and everything. Um well, then I can only imagine came along. Lionsgate liked Jesus Rev, but they felt like they wanted to do two or three more titles before we could do Jesus Revolution. So it got tabled then. I I moved on to do other stuff. John Irwin and John Gunn wrote the script. John Gunn loved the script so much. He's a director too. He wanted to direct it. Well, it got all the way up to shooting. They were like two weeks out from shooting. It was in production. They had bought the trailer. They had bought a bunch of costumes. They had all the locations set out. They had their, you know, they had the DP. They had everybody on ready to go. And uh, COVID hit and Lionsgate shut down all production across the globe. And everybody was just devastated because we'd been waiting so long for that film to get made. Um, but luckily for me, uh, John Gunn's like me too, man. Like, you just don't and and a lot of the guys in Kingdom across the board, like COVID didn't really stop us. We found other stuff to do that was COVID safe, COVID friendly. So sure. we shot a couple of documentaries. Uh John Gunn wrote a script that was a very limited cast, and they shot that, you know, COVID compliant. Um, but John Gunn moved on and then we're coming up out of COVID and Lionsgate greenlit Jesus Revolution again, and John Irwin came to me and said, Hey, John, moved on. You want to do this with me? I was like, absolutely, man. So third time around, I was available. It worked out. The nation's coming up out of COVID. We're in this extreme ty- time of division and hatred and people screaming at each other in all caps and um, just almost like going out of our way to find ways to hate and to rage quit on someone that doesn't believe exactly the same way you do. And here comes this sweet little movie about love, acceptance, kindness, uh, really seeing the other with compassion. And for a brief blip in evangelical history, these two disparate groups, you know, find a place of belonging and, and freedom and uh, a way of existing together um, under the banner of Christian love. And um, I don't know, man, it's, to me, it's a love letter out to our culture at large, but it's a love letter to the church as well, because unfortunately, I think most people don't realize this, but it's absolutely true. We are, we're cultural Westerners before we're religious. And mm. as a consumer, as a Western thinker, those are things that are, are at the highest operation in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. And then, you know, if someone's like, by God, I'm a Christian, I don't care. If no, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's not the case. Like, you, you know, we're so indoctrinated Uh, Into being Westerners uh, that we actually process our religion and our faith through all those. Uh, And so we're just in a terrible Western construct right now with our politics. And Mm -hmm. so all the Christianity is getting filtered through this in like really terrible ways. And so this was a love letter back to the church to just say, hey. Let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the core tenets of loving people, even people different than us. Yeah. Let's see where that takes us, because right now, culturally in America, this rage and this hate, it's a dead end. It takes us nowhere. I don't care if you go to church or if you don't. I don't really care um, if you're Catholic or Protestant or atheist or whatever. Like, We've got to find a way to move forward in love and yeah. to— get back to loving each other, and I personally believe that Christianity offers a path forward for that, um, and uh, and yet, you know, in some ways, I feel like, you know, Jesus said, um, bless those who curse you, and I have some really bad news, guys, but you need to love your enemies. Yep. And with that gauntlet thrown down, I feel like I maybe have met four real Christians in my entire life, me not included, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so I just I don't know, man. That's been the beautiful thing for me to focus on, is is just um a very loving way of being. And I got asked this in a podcast and it was really powerful. But she said, Yeah, but you know, the Bible says the world's gonna hate you. And so how what do we do with that? I was like, Yeah. But the mandate is to keep loving anyway. Mm-hmm. But everybody's focusing on the culture war, like, oh, well, you know, whatever, you know, whoever's against you, they're your enemy and you have to stop them and crush them. And, and uh, but I think I think the culture war is probably one of the largest deceptions that we have in our world right now, um, because what it does is it channels all that energy that you could be doing something positive and loving for your neighbor uh, it channels all that into rage and hate, yeah. and uh, almost like an excuse or some sort of um, validation for your hatred and your ostracization of the other. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's just not the mandate, man. That's just not. And so. So, yeah, man, I think um, I think, it, uh, you know, for me, it being canned a couple of times and coming out when it did. Um, I just really hope it. Just plant seeds of kindness and love back in culture, and you know especially for the church um and uh for the culture at large and so so yeah man, i again, it was very awesome, awesome uh growing experience. It was the best cast I've ever gotten to work with best crew uh for the most part, like it was a little hippie family that made this film uh you know, we had little road bumps along the way for sure, just like we do in every production, but I will say. The morale was the highest morale I've ever seen on a film set. And I always say, like, filmmaking brings out the best and the worst in you. Cause sometimes you're doing 14, 18 hour days and like you don't even have enough time to sleep. And on the weekends, you're doing laundry and and like just trying to like sleep in one day, you know. So it just it's gonna bring out all of your extremes, you know, the good and the bad. And so it was really cool to see the kindness and the the family vibe, uh, the hippie vibe uh, on this set and everybody just showing up to work and uh, not a lot of egos and just everybody hitting it as hard as they could. It was, it awesome. was definitely by far the most incredible experience I've had on a movie. And um, I would do it with this same group again in a heartbeat. They were, they were just so incredible to work with. And um The health, it's like I always say, when you're doing films like this, you're inviting all these people onto a pirate ship and you just hope there's no mutiny and you hope there's all this (laughs) trust, and you hope that everybody just gets on on the ship and does their job really well and we'll all make it out there and not die, you know, the other side. And I would say this is the greatest example of that I've experienced in my career so far for sure.
0: That's awesome. How do you feel with the success of it is it validating? Is it something that you're like, man, I'm obviously you seem extremely proud of it. So, you know, what's your, what's your viewpoint on that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, It's not validating. I'm like fast. I'm fascinated. Um, I've really been trying to observe my life more than live in my, my, you know, whatever, whatever my feelings are in the day, I'm trying to observe it more so observing it it's another one of those surreal moments in my life. It's like, wow, this movie's like blowing up. This is crazy. But like um I don't have any like pride or validation in it. I, I'm grateful. Like I'm grateful. Like uh John Irwin's John Irwin passes this uh story along, but um it's a Lionsgate quote, but one of the execs at Lionsgate says uh said the greatest emotion you can experience in film is relief. <laughs> so mm. so I think Probably uh, I think most of probably what I thought was just relief because especially for the team, because, I mean, you pour like a year of your life into this thing. Yeah, to see it, to see it take off and just know that everybody's like, you know, everybody's uh, work is being seen by a lot of people. It makes you just it makes it makes me happy. It makes That's me awesome. really grateful um, because the sad part of it is it takes the same amount of energy to make a bad movie than it does a good movie. it takes the same amount of energy to make a movie that nobody sees as opposed to a movie that just blows up and you know, yeah. so just to just to see that hard work uh, like pay off and a bunch of people see it, um, it 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 feels great and again it's a gratitude, especially for the team um, beyond that, it was a small drama uh that Uh, I think quadrupled Hollywood trade expectations and predictions and so that makes me really happy, too, that Hollywood is um, the trades are getting these little movies wrong that are targeted at very specific audiences. And maybe they'll maybe this is a little pressure wave that will make Hollywood think differently about maybe letting more dramas get made because. The the Marvel films of the world are choking out all the smaller mm, Yeah, films. I agree. There's a downward trend in dramas and smaller budget films. Like Hollywood doesn't really want to risk it on you or give you any space at the theaters because they don't think anybody's going to go see them. So um, Jesus Revolution premiered the same weekend that Cocaine Bear did. And both of those movies were targeted for very niche silo mm-hmm. audiences. And they both did. They both way overperformed uh, in some ways, they're the same film because they're they're these narrow, lower budget movies that are targeting a very specific audience. And hopefully when you hit that audience and it penetrates there, it blows up. It's and out. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, it does more. So uh, so I think it was a it was a tale of two, um, obviously, like ideological extremes. Right. But but in, in the same way, uh, almost an identical movie in its construction and and how it was uh, taken to market. And so. So yeah, I hope it. Um, I think my hopes for Jesus Revolution is uh, one, it's, uh, it it revitalizes maybe Hollywood's feelings around lower budget dramas and lower budget films in general, and that they have a place, and that if you do them, if you do them well, people will come see them. And then two, uh, I hope that, uh, for my friends' sake, especially because I've just done so much work in the space, but I do hope it it continues to open up. The world for more faith adjacent, uh, aspirational, inspirational uh, titles to come out. Um, I think Hollywood should take uh, should take many things from the playbooks of Jesus Revolution, Cocaine Bear, and uh, Top Gun Maverick. Because if you look at Top Gun Maverick, man, it's such a feel good. Mm, absolutely, nobody gets killed in combat. The only death in that movie is uh, someone who dies of cancer and. It just lifts you, man. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's so sweet and uh it's so kind and you have these these people that actually love and care about each other very much. And um I don't know, man, it just it made me uh hopeful for the future of humanity. And um I think we need more films like that, you know, whether you put faith in it or not. And so while Top Gun was a very expensive movie to make uh, it still was a very positive, kind film. Yeah, and I agree. So I hope that there's a new, uh, maybe a, a new, fresh look at hopeful, aspirational content uh, as it pertains to what Hollywood will spend money on and allow to proceed to the to the movie theaters. So, so yeah, man, it's been it's been cool. It's been cool. It's definitely the best thing I've ever worked on, and. Um, I really love doing the score and I loved working. Yeah.
0: I, w- I wanted to ask you about that real quick. Cause, uh, that was kind of, can you kind of talk about how that, I thought it was unbelievable. I, it gripped me. I was sitting there and I t- talked to my wife and I said, this is unbelievable. And it just reminded me of a lot of artists that I like in general, just that ethereal, you know, just epic. And it just, it, it hit right. And, um, you know, I, you and I talked earlier, my friend, Stephen Keach, he's got, um, you know, a couple songs on there and it's just, it's powerful, man. It's, it's extremely powerful. I want you to kind of talk on that just a little bit before we close up.
1: Okay. Um, well, uh, one of the reasons why I got invited on was, um, I don't know. I, when I see things through, I like to score it at the end because I'm a musician, you know, uh, I'm a musician who happens to make films for a living. So the final touches that I put on things as a filmmaker is, is my music, um, and I'm, I, I so approach my filmmaking from a musician's heart. There's cadence, there's rhythm, there's lyricism, there's poetry, there's loud parts, there's quiet parts, there's busy parts, there's, you know, a real simplified parts. And, um, and so just the filmmaking itself feels musical to me. And I, yeah. I have that approach. And so, so when I get to do the score at the end, it just, it makes my heart so happy because it's a return to form. It like completes the, completes the circuit, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, uh, they let me kind of do my thing. I, my, if I'm left to my own devices and just left alone, I'll go ambient. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a synth piano player and I love ambient. Um, I can play just enough guitar to get me in trouble. So, um, <laughs> More than playing the guitar, I play my effects. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, but yeah, man, I um, I also was in charge of getting all the, uh, what's called the needle drops together. So if you hear like the old rock tunes from 1908. Yes. loved it. Um, I I immersed myself in the period and... I had these long road trips driving to the production office and I'd come home on the weekends. I'd drive home on the weekends to be with my family and just on those long road trips, man, I would just play playlist after playlist and everything I would hear that I loved, I would just put it to another playlist. So I ended up amassing eight hours of amazing music. And my daughter a couple of my daughters are audiophiles and they kicked me some deep cuts that were so cool too. So between the three of us, we made this eight hour playlist and um I gave it to my editor and I said you know familiarize yourself with this and the assistant editor too and I was like anything you like just start throwing in the movie and dude they just they juiced it and they they put in and there was there were definitely specific songs that me and John wanted in certain places but but the editors really juiced that playlist and brought in some really cool music and I had uh, two amazing music supervisors uh one for the production and one at Lionsgate Hillary and Kevin and they were both amazing um, and so we had a village of people just, you know, raising up the, the needle drops, uh, and then the word got out on the set. So cast and crew was asking me for the playlist. So I was sending it to them. Then I had my assistant build one on Spotify. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm an Apple music guy, but, um, so many people were like, what about Spotify? You know, so <laughs> we, we had to rebuild the entire thing in Spotify and send it out. But it was fun, man. I loved it. So, so, I, you know, I couldn't really talk about the score without talking about the needle drops. And then, um. Uh, I wrote, I knew Allie who played Jeanette, uh, the pastor's daughter. I knew she was in mm. a position and they let me write that extra scene where she's jamming out to war. Yeah. Uh, and so it lived and, you know, we got the money for it and everything. And at the end of the day, I just did brag on Lionsgate. Um, but they, they kicked in extra money. Cause like the t- my tastes were so expensive for this little movie and, but they, They believed in it, man. They believed in the vision and they believed in the music. So they they kicked in some extra money at the end beyond the budget that I was given to help me get a couple more songs. And that really meant a lot to me. The producers found a little bit of extra money to help me. And um, so that was cool. And so the score, the score was amazing. Um, Going back to Steven, I just want to brag on him for a minute because what we did was, um, you look for temp music anywhere. You look for, what you do is you, you know, the when you're editing, and I edited probably 25% of this movie. Um, but uh, you look for anything that has the vibe that you want ultimately to be in the score, yeah. So it might be a Thomas Newman track or Hans Zimmer track or uh, a John Powell track, you know, any of these big, big scores that you love, you put in, <laughs> and also there's a production library. I think they're based here in Nashville, but they're called Soundstripe, and a lot of amazing composers contribute to this music licensing library. Mm-hmm. Well, we would pull some of that in and use it as temp. And uh, just to get a feel for things, you know, if it's like a rock vibe or an ambient vibe, or yeah. just to get the vibe and get the edit done, because you score last. A lot of people don't know this, but um, if you're going to do a traditional Hollywood film, you get the edit feeling perfect, then you lock it, then you hand that Perfect edit that's locked off to a composer. He strips away all the temp score and redoes everything with, uh, with the understanding that the filmmakers are looking for a specific, uh, the, you know, something similar in tone and vibe to that temp track. Yeah. Well, my main editor, John Puckett, actually, it was so cool. Hillary, who is the uh, music supervisor for Lionsgate, was on a business trip here to Nashville. And she came in to visit with me at the production office and john had just finished the editor john pocket had just finished the foot washing scene where yeah. he tells the hippies that this place is theirs and you know that whole sequence he had just powerful finished. so i got pulled into the edit bay and i pulled hillary in, and i was like hey you want to see this john played it for me and it was perfect it was perfect i i i melted down dude there's tears down my face i, I was blown away i looked over at hillary just tears coming out i mean we were so moved dude like i wanted to fall to my knees i was so overpowered man i was like john this is incredible like we're not going to touch a frame of this and we did it was like his rough cut of that wow and uh i don't think we touched a frame but in all of that there was a temp score from steven that we got from a a sound library i was like okay and i pulled a producer and i said this is lightning in a bottle and i would love to score this entire movie and it'd be great to say i scored the whole thing but whatever this piece of music is this is what needs to be in the movie and they got with with uh the licensing company and made a deal and licensed steven's music to be wow in that section so i gladly backed off and like didn't you know i didn't even try to do something that worked i was just like guys let's get this music so we licensed that from uh, steven's company and it it made it in the final film, and it personally man I, I will go on record and say, uh it's my favorite piece of music in the movie, and I didn't do it and so <laughs> uh so Stephen, if you're watching man, dude, you have my favorite piece of music in the film, and it's just it's so beautiful, man, um, just a beautiful piece of music bro um so and and i, I hope that you loved um love watching your little." licensed you know light music licensing library piece go out into a lionsgate movie and and it it deserves to be there man it's just it's so emotional and so so perfect for the scenes so thanks man it's so great but um yeah i think he has something else in there too i I can't recall i think he's got two he said i think yeah yeah i think um we licensed maybe four pieces of music for the film four or five and steven got two in there it's amazing so yeah, he's so stuck for him. <laughs> yeah, he's legit, man. And uh it's so emotional right there. And it scared me so bad because it was perfect and I knew yeah. it. And um I was like, if I score over this, it's not gonna be the same, you know? And um uh, so so Steven's music was uh was put in there, man, and that's the way that I wanted it and the way we all felt like it needed to be. So That's really cool. So yeah, but the score was great. I had a blast. I I used a lot of my ambient stuff. I um, I bought a. Uh, see if I can twist this. I bought this um, this reel-to-reel. Wow. And we reamped, and it's from the '60s. And I got these. Uh, I found them in a lot on eBay, but uh, there were untouched reel-to-reel uh, tapes that um, hadn't even been out of the box. It's still in the plastic. But I mean, this is incredible. This is warrantied uh, from 1963. So the warranty card says, uh, this warranty is good for a year from 1963. And these have been just in somebody's attic or somebody's closet. That's crazy. So I pulled all this old tape and um, we reamped back to to the, uh, the tape machine and brought it back into digital. But like I was trying to do everything I could to uh make it feel like it was period so even though it was modern and ambient stuff yeah. i was trying to bring the 60s like tape saturation into That's it awesome. and so so yeah i mean it was a fun it was a fun journey dude it was a fun ride and um i had i had a blast working i probably my favorite score i've ever gotten to do
0: Very right, cool man, I, I think you accomplished it. It's incredible. Um, yeah, man, I, I really, I, I think overall the film, like what we talked about, I, I really enjoyed it, but the music just really hit me hard. So I think you did a fantastic job. So dude,
1: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Um, tell
0: me, uh, we'll close up here. Uh, what's the future like for you, man? What, what, what do you, you know, what, what's the next steps? And, um, yeah, let's, we'll close that after that.
1: Yeah. People don't know this about me, but like, I, I, I was slightly dragged kicking and screaming into the faith uh, sector. I, I really just wanted to do mainstream movies. So if you look at my shorts, they're horrors, they're thrillers, they're fantasy, they're sci-fi, they're weird. You know, they're uh, they're definitely um, they're definitely pop culture, mass popular, you know, mass pop uh, movies like Spielberg, but they're they're Hollywood genre films. Um, so I wouldn't mind going that direction, but similar to Spielberg, who is Jewish, he brings a lot of Judeo-Christian construct into his themes and so i'll always have that going you know yeah. being raised a christian and and uh someone who definitely has faith you know I, I i definitely think i'll bring my thing into that but i would love to do more mainstream stuff um however all that said um i've done a ton of stuff with kingdom now and lionsgate and you know i i prob i think probably i'll be doing another movie with them that's a faith film um I would love to do that so uh i'll know in the next four to six months what's going to be next for me but uh they're looking at a lot of stuff for me because they know i'm more mainstream uh but at the same time um i think if you are going to do lower budget films it goes back to this that jesus rev cocaine bear argument it needs to be very niche and you need to understand that you're walking this movie to a very specific audience that you love and you care about and you want you want them to walk out going, that was awesome. You know. Yep. So yep. um so I think if I had to guess now, I would say up in uh four to six months, I would be in a contract to do another Kingdom and Lionsgate movie. Very cool. Uh, Very cool of some sort. So that's so we'll see. Very cool,
0: dude. Man, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This is so cool. I really appreciate your time, and I, I think it's cool that it's a small world. We know a lot of the same people, so it's just really been an awesome conversation, man. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Dude, this has been so great. Thank you for the questions, and um, yeah, man, I uh, it's been so fun to be on these podcasts because um, I don't know. I think there's a kindness and a curiosity and – even the podcasts are a way of empathy, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, um, you and I are talking about how we feel about things. And, um, I don't know, man, I just, I hope that the world becomes more kind and, um, uh, uh, less filled with hate. And so it's just been, it's been really cool to be able to talk to you about where my career is taking, yeah, man. And, uh, um, yeah, man. So thanks for doing what you're doing and, yeah, uh, uh, okay, so what's your what was your favorite Petra album?
0: Well, it actually was This Means War because okay. it's the because I saw them live at like ten or twelve something like that, and it ramps pyrotechnics the whole thing that changed my world. And they actually just came here recently, and I got to work the show, and I got to hang out with them, and it was incredible. Like they're just still rocking. <laughs> it rules.
1: Yeah, John Schlitt. Uh, John Schlitt was it was like he would drink 20 monsters, you know? Yep. Like he was I agree. On fire, man. Like, yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time seeing him, man, like the lights came on and he was just like jumping up and down, like pumping. I know uh, he was just like electric, you know? But yeah. It was just great. He was great. Uh, it, yeah, definitely. I mean that, that lineup was so cool. And, um, i was a i was a keyboard player so i loved i just loved the musicianship of the guys and oh. their little personality so you had louis on the drums yeah and you had uh john others. lowry on the
0: keyboard yeah
1: john yep. Bob john would do the Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> you know that was just iconic you know and, yeah and, uh, yeah i i can remember you know i saw it. i saw them play twice but one was at Six Flags, and I had oh, nice. really good seats. I mean, we were just like third row, and uh, I was on on John's side of the stage, and so you're just like you're like fifteen feet away from you know, doing the guitar solo, which yep. is like losing your mind, you know. So that's cool. Well, who are who are a couple of your other favorite uh, bands? Um, I really liked,
0: um, well, of course, I like Striper and, and Petra, um, and then I, I started to get into the alternative or the punk rock, and so I really like the Prayer Chain a lot. And I loved Starflyer 59 and and all the sorts. I I listen to heavy music. And, you know, a lot of the artists on my podcast are from that world. So it's kind of I wound up booking shows from it. So I had my own little path. Um, You know, I don't do that anymore. But it's yeah, I'm all over the place. I literally love everything from ambient music to, you know, death metal or black metal, just whatever. Just whatever is my fancy, to be honest with you. So it's kind of all over the place. So have you uh, have you talked with anybody from Striper? I have actually worked a show when they came here, too. I I got to hang out with their new bass player, and we talked about cigars, so (laughs) that was really
1: cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. Cool, yeah, man. Um, No, um, I don't know if you saw our uh, doc that we did, the Jesus music. I don't know if you saw that or not. I I have heard of that. I don't. I didn't realize you were on. That's awesome. I'll have to watch that then. I, I've yeah, seen I Ghost directed on it, and we did a whole section on Striper, and it's really cool, man. You that's know? so cool. Yeah, you should check it out. It's on Hulu. Very cool. Have you seen that Electric Jesus movie? No, but I know a bunch of people that worked on that. You film. need to watch it. I'm friends with John Thompson. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. I'm going to have yeah, him know- on soon. I know Striper was a big, uh, like a big plot point in the story. Yeah, right? you
0: should watch it. It's, it's. I think it's on Tubi or one of those. It's free, like on you know, one of those free ones. But it's, it's amazing. It's really cool.
1: Your heart will grow from like Striper. Like man, they had a really hard go of it, and yeah. uh, and it just makes you care. But it's just a beautiful story. Uh, yeah, man. So John Puckett, my editor, and I. Uh, edited jesus rev with some other guys uh i'm sorry jesus music um but john did the striper section and it's probably my favorite so so cool just watch it with the striper section yeah Yeah, i'm
0: gonna i'll watch it this week dude that's so cool thank you so much for this dude i really appreciate it
1: no dude it's great to hang man it's so cool that we have such similar uh like similar circles of friends and uh, yeah man yeah Where where are you located
0: jacksonville florida okay yeah
1: still that's where
0: i knew brian and and all those guys lived here so okay very cool.
1: Well, if I'm ever through there, man, we we need to do. Uh, some, I would cigars, love to. Uh, some cigars and coffee,
0: dude. Let's do it, man. Absolutely. I'll, I'll let you know when I post this, man. Okay, man. Thanks again, dude. Dude, thank you so much. Great to hang. All right, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. Thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this latest episode of the Rumors of Tree Podcast. I'd also like to thank Brent McCorkle for his time. What an incredible, incredible conversation. Um, I'm so stoked to have a big smile on my face. An incredible opportunity for myself um, to be able to talk to somebody who's got an amazing talent that is doing some amazing things right now. If you have not seen the Jesus Revolution movie, do yourself a favor and see it. Faith or not, it is an unbelievable movie. Really well done. Soundtrack is amazing. The film score is incredible. Man, I cannot say enough good things about it. Um, Thank you again for tuning in. And we've got some incredible guests on the horizon. So thank you. And we'll talk to you soon.